Welcome, everybody. My name is Real Paul. We are interviewing today Aaron B. Kuntz from Scare Package and Scare Package 2, two of my favorite movies, by the way. And I'm not just saying that because he's here. Joining <laughs> me today, we have Cozy. We have what, Dev Dealer M. I, yeah. Hi. Hi. <laughs> and we have Carlo. Uh, hey, what's I don't know going why on? Carlo's here. He knows nothing about movies. So it's okay. We're just. <laughs> Poor Carlo. Just just getting shit on right off the well, right off the bat. I, I, yeah, I know. I know. I see I know movies. I'm just not good with horror movies. I do like horror comedies and and bad parodies like Saturday Night the 14th, but uh, Monster just, Squad. It doesn't get any one, more it doesn't you know, get any worse but, than that as far as bad goes. Yeah. That's <laughs> it's it's such a wasted title, too. Yeah. Like like I mean I had fun watching it just because you know, as a kid, I don't think it really mattered because I wasn't right. allowed to watch horror films, but just the title, Saturday the 14th, like I'm just so jealous that somebody got to have that title before me. And, and you're right, they wasted it. They, it. they they didn't they didn't live up to it, it, its possibilities. I mean, there's so much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. completely. So Aaron, like I said, you uh, gave us Scare Package and Scare Package 2, as well as a few other things. You want to give us a little bit of your background, how you got started and Sure, sure. Yeah. So, you know, look, I mean, I went to film school, did that whole thing. Um, I, I, As I mentioned, I wasn't allowed to watch horror films growing up. So they kind of became that forbidden fruit. It was something that I loved. And I started a, um, I worked in the game industry for a long time after film school, couldn't really, and work crew as well in between, just never really could get like my foot uh, to where we're really making the movies that I wanted to be, to be making. And it was hard to sustain just working crew for a while. So uh, I think it was like 2012 or so. I, I finally started a production company. Just like, it was like three of my friends and we were like, hey, let's just make some shit and figure it out. And that was it. That was all it was going to be. And uh, we started making some short films that were not very good, uh, but we learned things that we liked to do and we learned things that we didn't like to do and uh, kept doing that. And yeah, now we've been, Paper Street Pictures has been in business for over 10 years and we are up to with paper street i mean myself i'm close to 20 films produced four films as a feature writer director but with paper street i think we're 13 or 14 you know with the company alone so yeah it's been uh and a lot of that's in the last you know five years or so it's been a crazy crazy stretch yeah i've noticed with paper street you listed some of the films recently on your twitter feed and i'm like i watched that one i watched that one <laughs> and i've enjoyed all of them which is cool it means you're turning out good stuff you know cool that makes me happy. That makes yeah. me happy. Yeah. The, the hope is that it becomes a thing that, you know, like I, I love, like, you know, if I saw that Canon logo, you know, back in the day or Hammer Horror, stuff like that, some of those iconic logos, like that's what we want to do. We want to create a brand that whether or not I'm directing or writing, but that even if we're putting our, our you know, our company behind something, you know, it's a unique genre film that uh, feels a little different, might be a little crazy. And, uh, but, but that's, that's the hope you see that logo, paper street pictures logo, and it means something. When I think the, 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 uh, the, the, the mantra I've seen is, uh, scary, making scary movies doesn't have to be scary or something like that is what you have. Yeah. Yeah. So that's actually with blood oath, which is my other, uh, side company, um, ah. which is a spinoff of paper street, but no, it, yes. Making scary movies, less scary to make. Yeah. That's, that's a, um, a consulting firm that we created, which consulting is such a weird word for it. Basically, we wanted to help filmmakers out who did not know how to get their movies made. And there's just a, a lot of wonderful people that 
I would find out about a project and I'd say, oh no, I wish you had told me about this sooner. I could have helped you. And so instead of, you know, kind of waiting for those scenarios to keep repeating themselves, uh, we wanted folks to be able to learn from the mistakes that we had made early on and make sure that they don't repeat them and just try and help filmmakers navigate this craziness, you know, and what's going on. So yeah, that's uh, join the blood oath is the kind of the idea and you go there and and uh, you can send us projects and we can look at it and see if we can potentially help you out. That's really cool. That, that's impressive. Yeah. yeah I, it's... And for anybody who's watching, all of the links for anything that we can get, as far as all these companies are, are concerned, they're going to be in the description after all this goes up. So we're going to get all that taken care of for you. If you're interested in your, if you're a filmmaker, Who's interested in getting a head hands up, you know, reach out, get some information. Hey, why not? <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah. Please do. You know, we love to, I mean, cause so much of this is, I mean, it's hard. This yeah. business is really hard. And, uh, I didn't know what to do when we started. And it doesn't mean that we're going to be able to take every project yeah. or any, by any means, right. any stretch of the imagination, but I, we do hope that we can just offer support and let, you know, people know that, to kind of stick with it and have that fastidiousness that you have to have to like get stuff made in this industry. So it's just the things that I wish I had when I got started. So we're hoping to try and pay it, pay it yeah, back a little bit. Uh, trust me. I've watched a lot of the movies that have hit like uh, Amazon and stuff prime and they will apparently show anything they can, um, because yeah. there have been some really, really bad horror movies that on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I give credit to the guys for wanting to do it, but I also see a lot of, not paying attention to the little details. There, there's one where in every scene, they're in one room. The smoke detector has a dying battery in the background. So you hear the battery every time they're in this room. Beep. Every Oof. 30 seconds. I'm like, <laughs> okay, this is really annoying. You know, it's wow. those little yeah. production things that I think, you know, if somebody would have said, hey, fix that, you know. <laughs> well, and it's also extremely easy. That is extremely easy to fix. Yeah. There's tools and posts that you literally isolate the sound and it repeats and it removes it. Yeah. So anyway, but look, if you don't know yeah. what you can do, right. then yep. you're kind of like you go down this fate of making mistakes, yep. you know, and, and I'm not necessarily in the business of, I don't want to talk ill of any film just no. because it's so hard to do. Oh, I know. But, I, like I said, I give him credit, you know, for trying to do yeah. it, but yeah. But don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean that there's not right. uh, opportunities for people. Yeah to yeah. be had within that space right so you could acknowledge that yeah while still uh being like hey i'm glad you're going for it because that's the thing i mean look yeah our, again our first few things we made uh, weren't good and and so it was like i had to learn from mistakes you had to figure right. things out and see what that can become and find your voice and and uh all that kind of stuff and from what i can tell from your stuff you do something that i love most of your it seems to me anyway unless i'm unless you guys are really good most of your effects are practical Yes. Yeah. Yes. Almost everything is practical in, in yeah. every movie. Uh, there'll be some stuff. It depends. Like there's some things that you literally can't do practically. Right. So you have to, I mean, we will augment some uh, VFX in as needed. I mean, on scare package too, we actually have some VFX in, but it's deliberately Right. shitty <laughs> because <laughs> because it's that like 90s 2000s era yeah. horror and it's funny i don't think a lot of people i think we get so meta and so into this 
idea of what it is you're doing that people think, oh, they just have these bad effects. I'm like, no, no, that's very deliberate. Like that's from Ghost Ship. Yeah. And I'm referencing oh, how those effects were, <laughs> you know, and what this is and stuff. So it's like you're, I, and, and whatever, maybe I get too deep into the rabbit hole of like my love of, of what we're talking about and the types of yeah. things we're talking about. But, but yeah, I mean, there's like, you know, we do these Hellraiser chains and these like kind of digital chains just pop up, you know, and show up there. And, and if you watch the Hellraiser sequels, that's what yeah. they looked like. Yeah. You know, so that's that's what it is. It's all every uh, single yeah. thing is an homage. Everything. No, we yeah. horror fans definitely notice, and and we do have these deep conversations with one another. Because um, actually, after I watched Scare Package, I had no idea what I was watching when I first put it on. I was told <laughs> to watch the movie, and I was like, okay. So I didn't read on it. I just went into it and watched it. And a few minutes in, I'm like, okay, is this supposed to be like this? And then as it went on, I'm like, this is amazing. This is the best thing ever. And I called my friend and we almost had the same conversation of it's supposed to be somewhat corny, but at the same time, they're making a really good movie. It's it's the parts that are funny are supposed to be funny. It's not they're trying to be serious and it just didn't work. Oh God. So yeah, we there's... have those same conversations and we yeah. do get that deep with it. That's Not... great. I love hearing that because it is truly, and sometimes I'll run into someone who will like have some logic issue with Scare Package. And I'm like, you have an issue. What is this? So many, there's, there's a moment in Scare Package too, where uh, the, we take Byron Brown, Sam, and he gets hit by a machete and he goes on a wheelchair down these steps. Right. And that is obviously an homage to Friday the 13th and one of my favorite kills there because it's like also ridiculous in that movie that you kill a poor man in a wheelchair and then push him down a flight of steps like that's insane <laughs> so we wanted to homage that and the whole time he's wearing the same jersey and everything the entire time but I read a review online and again knowing, knowing everything there's a skin man alive in this movie and yet someone's like I just I don't know I can't get behind the film because when they pushed him out that door and he rolled him up steps like they're clearly on the first floor so how are they up on the second floor to fall down all those steps and like and i'm like that is the takeaway yeah from this movie? <laughs> like you you're just this is first off you're not even paying attention because there's so much crazier shit that's happening prior to that so yeah i mean look so much of this was we want to make fun horror and the scare package movies are in our opinion the epitome of that our rule is it just has to make us laugh and as ridiculous as it is then and whatever the simplest idea is we throw out so whatever the yeah. easy answer is we never do it mm. it's like make it more complicated go crazier with it and that's what it's all all about it is all I, very deliberate i have to say the first time i watched scare package it was on um it was on the last drive-in with joe bob and darcy uh, when they aired mm. it a couple of years ago and, and at, i'd seen it floating around on shutter because i'd had shutter for like a month or so at that point and i was like ah, i'm not into anthologies i don't know but then they showed it and like her, I started watching going, what is this? But as soon as the, uh, I, I forget his name, the blob who's already melted down at this point, he reaches yeah. out and bites her and goes, oh, I'm sorry. It's just, you know, habit, force of habit. I, I really didn't mean to do that. And I'm like, yeah. okay, now I get it. This, uh, this yeah. show, the movie's about to go sideways. All right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, so, um, yeah. the question I have is, um, because I, I'm the opposite. I love anthologies. Um, mm. How what is exactly your process when you went through creating an anthology? But, you know, because you have to keep it, it's like consistent in its inconsistency. Like <laughs> yeah. it's just the best way to describe it. And how was that for you? 
Yeah, yeah. So I love anthologies as well. You know, I grew up on Creepshow and, and Tales from the Crypt and all of this. And those things were, you know, very pivotal to me growing up. But I, we had made a, a feature. I'll, I'll take a, a step back first to kind of answer that properly for you. We made a feature called Camera Obscura. It was released with NBC Universal. Super serious psychological horror. My cut was never released. I was always bummed about that. But the movie was, uh, I'm very proud of it, but it's a downer. Let's just put it that way. Like it does not end and people aren't smiling. You know, they're like, oh, you know, you're just like drained. And we played that in a bunch of festivals. I was like, man, I don't know that I, I need to do something like, like the opposite of that. You know, I want to, and I miss fun horror. Like I grew up on fun horror. And again, and, and those anthologies, I think are very fun you know, what those, what those represent. And Monster Squad, which was referenced earlier, another huge reference point for me. So those types of movies like really resonate with me. It's like, how do we make something that's really fun with like no money? And Cameron Burns, who's like the co-creator with me, he kept pushing an anthology. He's like, look, we know these other filmmakers. We know how to make shorts really inexpensively. We could take our time. We could make a short, raise a little more money and make a short and kind of go through that process. And I was like, well, that all makes sense. But I, again, I don't think that we can do anything different in this space. Like I was, you know, I knew that the, the new Creepshow reboot was coming on Shudder. Uh, the VHS series was already extremely popular. It's only gotten more popular lately, you know, and, and Southbound and Trick or Treat. And they were making that sequel to Trick or Treat. All these things were coming. And I'm like, I, I think we're too late was my thought. But then I was, well, I don't know what else we're necessarily gonna do. I spent a weekend, I watched every anthology I possibly could. I'm a little OCD. And I made a spreadsheet, like an actual literal spreadsheet, where I rated what my the highs and lows, the things that I liked and didn't, um, and started to find some trends. And I realized I love the comedies. Like my favorite segments that were scoring the highs were always the comedies. And then the things that frustrated me were the the wraparounds were not cohesive. Like I would, I'd be like, ah, oh, just just get me back to another the next segment. Oh. Like I would get frustrated. Right. And then things didn't necessarily always flow together in a very good way. Like, even if you really liked a segment, it, 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 it's, and you really like both of them, they still felt tonally so into a different world. So I was like, okay, this, this could work. Like, what, and, you know, and then I also wanted there to be an overarching theme, not just horror, not just anthology, not just tales, that there is a theme to all of this. So, first, make it all horror comedy. Second, make sure that, the wraparound story, the core story, if you will, is its own standalone film. So even if you don't watch a segment or you skip a segment, this is its own. Like you pull the segments away and you have one cohesive story. And then the, the hook was going to be, it was originally, the first title was called Tropes. And every segment was just a different set of horror tropes that we were subverting, right? And then I was, well, if, you're, if the movie's about tropes and we're talking about tropes, then the title should also be a trope. So that became the Silent Night, Deadly Night, Shopping Mall style pun titles. That was a thing. So we put all that together, worked with, found a bunch of filmmakers that we love, that were friends of ours, that when we made short films, we played at festivals together. And we, everything was fresh and created just for this. We gave them a list of tropes that we wanted to subvert, like ideas and jokes. It's like, this would be funny if it takes place here or this thing here, what that could be. And then worked with these really talented writer directors and said, hey, like, go, like, go write something in this world for us and what that can become. And then we would give notes, come back. And then once they had kind of that idea, they, they would basically, would, we would work with them to put together the budget, you know, make these individual segments, 
we produced each of them. So we're kind of keeping some cohesion, you know, myself and Cameron as kind of the creators of all this are like giving notes and figuring out how they fit into the whole. And then we are writing the wraparound story around what they've written to make us go in and out in clever ways. So we're like waiting to do that, which is a luxury that you wouldn't normally have on a regular phone. And then the last part was to keep that cohesion going is the post process was all streamlined. So it's the same composer, same sound designer, you know, uh, same, you know, color grade, all of this. And these pieces came and, you know, you still let those filmmakers kind of do their thing. And if they go a little off, that's okay. But you kind of reel them into them for the most part. And, uh, and, and we were off and running, but it was all, it's kind of like a TV show in a way. You're, we're kind of show running something. We're bringing these people in, but the, to get to customize it back to what they did is what I think really started, well, I hope started to separate us and make it feel like, oh, this is different. Like this is all cohesive. It's, it's one movie, even though it's an anthology at the same time, if that makes sense. I actually yes. think my favorite story from the scare package is the wraparound story. Cause I just the ending was just amazing to me. I loved it. Them running around and oh, you're the virgin, you're the slut. <laughs> that was just beautiful. <laughs> so well done. You're oh, bravo. You. Yeah, no, thank you. That was that was wonderful. Yeah, and, and we knew I always knew that the story was going to become its own segment at the end, you know, and what that would be. But I will say I didn't expect. You know, Jeremy King, who plays Rad Chad, is someone who's been in all my movies. Like I killed him in, I literally kill him in every movie. So, and and every movie, his last name is Buckley. So it's like all this like Buckley universe stuff that happens. So uh, he even, and there'll be references to it. He'll be, there's like a reference where he says, my, my brother's murder settlement money. That's referring to the way he dies in another movie, you know? So he gets, <laughs> it, it's it's silly, very, very silly. But but I I, I knew Jeremy was a very talented actor. I knew that we had a really fun character, but you know, I killed him. I mean, I punched a hole through his face in this first movie. And then, you know, by Dustin Rhodes, you know, and and, and then all of a sudden people were like, I love Rad Chad. And yeah. people wanted t-shirts, people dressed up as Rad Chad for <laughs> Halloween. And I'm like, oh no, what have we done? Like, <laughs> like I just killed this beloved character. And we realized that what was supposed to just be this story that we tried to build up and make something seemed to land more than we ever expected and now it was people wanted a sequel and 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 to me the only logical place is you had to finish this ratchet story and, and continue in some way even though he's dead like how I, do you come I, up with a way to do that yeah i love that the funeral when the going through the videotape and he's fast forwarding for all the different ways that he possibly died leading up to <laughs> yeah it's like, okay that's, we're having that's... fun now yeah <laughs> Well, and, and and again, I think you have to have early on in these films, you want to kind of set these like these, you send these shots out that are like, by the way, don't, this is the kind of film we are. This is the kind of film we are just in case you kind of get roped in, you know, and you're just letting them know the silliness and absurdness of it. But yeah, I mean, that whole montage are some of my favorite kills in horror films, number one, and some horror film references. And then it's also all the ways I'm afraid I'm going to die. <laughs> so like, <laughs> leaving the oven on yeah. and stuff like that are like things and great white sharks. I think I might die by great white sharks. Super <laughs> stupid, silly stuff like that. That's uh, so that's that's where all that's like a little bit of me, a little bit of my yeah. horror love and a lot of weird absurdity in between. By the way, let, me, let, me, let me real quick, let me explain that not like I don't like uh, anthologies, but a lot of the issues I have with a lot of the older ones are the things you pointed out. The wraparound doesn't work. 
it doesn't seem to flow well. You know, there's one story you like out of three. So, okay. You know, but you know, I, I'm older than you. I'm pretty sure. I mean, my first real hand Thor anthology that I remember was trilogy of terror, which, you know, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know you know what it is. You know, Karen, Karen Black yeah, in three it. different roles. I've seen it. Yeah. yeah. And the, yeah. the infamous voodoo doll that everybody recognizes goes, Hey, I know that voodoo doll. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an old man. Yeah. Was... There's, there's, no, you're right. No, there's pluses and minuses for sure, yeah. you know? And, and, and I think part of it, and, and, and look, part of the problem, if I would say, yeah. with some anthologies today is because there's this idea, and I run into filmmakers, you know, as, as a producer of other people's films as well. I run into filmmakers who have this kind of like idea that, well, I can make a short, you know, I know how to do this in two days. So if I can just make five shorts and then I'm shooting a whole feature in 10 days and it's done, or I know these friends, I can just, we can just like, just you go off and do something and you go off and do something and we'll just make it, we'll call it a feature. Or even to me, the worst is when you have finished films and then you just license all of those and you say it's an anthology. Like, don't get me wrong, I guess by the definition, it's an anthology, but you're not there's no curation, you know, you're yeah. not, you're not like trying to put this together and find a way to make them flow and do that. And even if those individual moments and, and, you know, can be great for those filmmakers, but as a viewer, as again, I, I looked at this as someone, whatever we're making are things that I enjoy watching. So I'm like, I'm not going to enjoy watching that as much. So I don't want right. to do it, you know, and, and that's where that goes. Because, yeah, I've seen some really good stuff. I mean, you know, Art the Clown, Art the Clown came out of an anthology. You know, and mm -hmm. he's, now a, he's now a creature all himself. You know, <laughs> yeah, just, completely. Yeah, he's yeah, amazing. done well there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Carlo, you had a question? Yeah, I do. So one of the questions I had for you was I wanted to ask, when it comes to, to making what you do, I know that, you know, it's it may not be on the scale of, let's say, like a, a major blockbuster you see in theaters or on, on Disney plus these days, but however, you still have to have a budget and get things done. So when it comes to getting a movie set or getting a set to, to uh, use, do you guys still have to run out like from a major studio or do you guys have to just find um, local places to run out? Like how do you usually does that happen in, in the scale of the business that you're in? I mean, well, first, Look, the, the secret to making a lot of movies, a lot of, I think there's a number of people who will make their first film and then they never make anything after. And the reason is because they're able to pull all these favors, get all these things together. They make something. And if that doesn't actually make money, even if it's critically acclaimed, it can play at a festival, all these different things can happen. If that doesn't actually make their money back, then those people are not going to be giving you their money again. So the, the secret to doing this is you make your money back and then they roll that money over into something else, right? I mean, it's, it's, it is a business, right? So if you can kind of understand and, and look at how to do that, and what one of the things that we've gotten good at over the years, especially in these last three years, has been understanding where this can fit in the marketplace and figuring out, because people will come to me like, oh, I, yeah, I want to make this movie for $2 million. And I'm like, okay, you could, you can definitely make, you can make any movie for, for you know, any low budget film can be made for $2 million. It could also be made for 5 million, 10 million. It could also maybe be made for 200,000. So the question becomes like, do you really need to make it for that in order to make your money back? And how much money do you think you can make? And then that's what you have to make it for. And then if you go out and you do that, 
then you can roll that over and maybe you'll get a little more. Maybe you can take more chances. Things can happen, but you kind of have to go through that process. So, you know, we as Paper Street Pictures, my production company and my partners, you know, you know, which is Cameron Burns, who I've referenced, Ashley Sneed, who kind of is a line producer and handles a lot of budgets for us. Uh, you have Alex Uding, who's our director of post-production. And, you know, he's an editor with us, but also helps facilitate everything as it's going through post. Um, you have Sean Talley, who does a lot of new media work um, and helping us just, he's also on set, like he's an on-set guy for anything we could possibly ever need. Uh, you have Farrell Rose, who's in development. And now we also have Zena Dixon, who's helping us in development and some post-coordinating as well. Uh, and, and so you, you put these pieces together and you have these people and we all assign all these duties and we say, and we're doing this right now. I mean, literally today I'm doing this process where we have a project and we're, okay, so we need to find these 15 things. What is the least expensive way to do those things? How do we make those work? Um, right now I'm trying to find a studio in Calgary that can give me a really good deal for one day of shooting some VFX stuff and then I also need a dog, um, like a stunt dog that can do certain movements and shoot them. And I need to bring them together in Calgary for one day. Why Calgary? It's a whole big thing. But like these things come together. So it's like we're calling around. We're asking people, who do you know? How do we get this? How do we find the right deal? And because we got to stay under this particular budget. And so it's just that rinse, wash, repeated over and over again. You know, movies are just big puzzles and you're you know, we're, we're giving you a very distinct, you know, framework to kind of work from. And it's like, you have to make these pieces work. Right. And I, but I will say, you know, we are with some movies, we're much lower budget than people think. I mean, we get compared to other movies all the time and I'm like, we are literally one tenth of their budget and they don't know that <laughs> and people have no idea. And I take a lot of pride in that because one of the things we talk about is putting the dollars on the screen. And that we're making things and you can every now and then you'll be like, I can tell they're, you know, we're low budget, like scare package movies, you know, we're low budget, but how low budget we actually are for what we do is I'm extremely, extremely proud of. So again, it's, it's, uh, and those restrictions force you into creativity. You know, you're like, okay, got to come up with a way to make this work. You know, scare package two, we are sitting in a warehouse that was an old flower shop in Oklahoma city that I went around trying to find. I knew that was where we were going to shoot for a variety of reasons. And we went around, I scouted forever trying to find the right warehouse, what we could do. There were sound stages and all this stuff, but we couldn't afford them. I didn't like how much money they cost. So we found this old flower shop that was basically falling apart. I mean, truly, like, like there were areas that if you walked, you would fall through the floor. So we had to like base it, like safe, figure out, do a safety pass. What is safe? Is this safe? Number one, because that's what, you, you know, first and foremost is safety. Then it's like, okay, it's safe. Now it's like, can it even work at all logistically, right? So the room where they're, where they have like the mass on and the bees, and then the room where they play beer pong. And then those are all, that's actually the same exact place. And if you look at the floor, you can tell it's the same floor over and over and over again. And we just like, and we are literally overnight painting a wall, holding, putting up some stuff, cutting off an area, shooting a different direction. And it looks like an entirely different thing. Then right next to that room is where our funeral was. And then right next to the funeral is where our chain room is, where, you know, Sam comes through the TV and all that. Everything is right in the same section. So it's like, okay, this is my location. I can turn this into how many locations within this location. That saves you time, which is what's called a company move because you're moving from one place to another. So it's like, and now 
when you don't have to worry about leaving, packing up, going, driving here, doing this, you can now spend those two, three hours doing a really cool makeup effect instead, right? So, so then you get to put time into the things that, that matter to me more. And then we quote unquote, get to put our dollars on the screen. So it's all just a puzzle of those types of things that we're, we're playing with, you know, it's, and then where we get the money from changes. Every single movie is different. Sometimes, you know, we have a really good relationship with Shutter. very obviously. We made, I think, six or seven movies with them. And sometimes they'll fund a movie for us in advance. Sometimes we make a movie and then we sell it to Shutter. Um, you know, we work with RLJ. We work with Wellgo, you know, XYZ Films, uh, Dark Sky Films. So it's whomever is the right partner at that time and how we put those together and make it work. And it's... Uh, you know, every movie is a unique snowflake or some cliche. I don't know, but they are, they're all just different, you know, and you got to find out the right way to put those things together and make it work. Wow. That's really cool. That's re- just the fact that you take one location, you've turned it into multiple sets right there. Not only, like you said, is that time saving, but that, that saves financially and that saves a lot of that stress of driving back and forth and everybody's still in the same area. So you don't have to get like moved from, a different hotel or anything. Everything's right there. That's yeah. pretty, that's pretty good. And, and, and literally everything's right there. Like the video store is the floor below us that we built. We built that video store. So they're building off hours while we're doing that. The um, even when Kelly Maroney takes the, the tape and she's going around doing the found footage stuff, all of that is the weird side rooms and everything around that the back area where we have the car and they drive away that's the actual back of the building itself. Like it is every, and, and so, and I think, look, there are some filmmakers, and again, I, I respect the process. I respect someone's creativity and what they're trying to do, but there are some folks who will say, well, it has to look like this. It has to be this. And, and in indie filmmaking, you just can't do that. You have to say, this is my like North Star. This is our goal. And then it's like, well, this is what you have. And it's like, okay, how do I make the most of what I have, not sit there and complain about what I don't have. And once your mind frame changes and you look at this as like, well, here's an opportunity. Like, what can we do with this rather than what I can't do with what I, what I had in my head? It, it, it just, it just changes. It opens up the way you look at everything and they just become opportunities rather than problems. Right. It honestly sounds to me like similar to running a, a haunted attraction in October, honestly, because I mean, that's, <laughs> I, I run a haunted house. So that's what I do is we set up different rooms with different scenes in them. And we, my partner and I sit down and we have a conversation of what themes we want, what we want the things to look like. And it doesn't always work, mm-hmm. but you know, we shoot for what we can and we do what we can. And and a lot of it is the same. I mean, we save money where we can and reuse things and make things. And that's really cool to hear. Cause I mean, it's like I said, it sounds exactly like what my friend and I do, you know, every year Yeah, (laughs) we spend months planning it and executing it. And it's kind of sad. We only get celebrated for, for one month. It'd be nice if you could leave that stuff up for ages because it takes a lot to do especially when you don't have a lot of room and you need a lot of space for something yeah completely i mean you're describing film producing really i mean it's the same thing it's it's yeah it's trying to maximize the dollars you have maximize the spaces you have and then we even we'll take the things we build and then we'll reuse them you know so the back of this wall becomes the back of the front of that wall 
you know, and, and that kind of stuff too. So, I mean, I got, I can't even tell you, you know, I mean, we cut off Jeremy King's head once and we use his head like over and over and other movies, <laughs> all the movies have the same head. And so we'll just, and it's a different person's head sometimes, you know, cause you can't like th- whatever we can do. Right. That kind of stuff happens. Yeah. Well, I understand. I've made props that are probably 10 years old now and nobody ever notices that it's the same prop from the year prior because, you know, give it a little paint or scrape some paint off or give it a different angle and it looks completely different. It looks brand new. Well, you know what I mean? It looks like a brand oh, yeah. new prop. Well, another example of this, I, I, I made a, a film I wrote and directed called The Pale Door, which was a horror Western. And we had these witches that took about four and a half, five hours to like do head to toe makeup for the witches. And I could not afford to have as many witches as I wanted. So we had this huge shootout scene in a brothel and we have like four or five witches like total, but I have to kill like 20 witches in the scene. So you take them and then you kill one, then you flip the camera to the other side and you put a wig on one, you change it and you put a little change the contacts or something. And then you shoot that one. And then you have another that falls and the same one that falls is the same one that's shot there, but you can't tell because it happens really fast. And you just do these things really quick and and make it chaotic. And like, we kill the same witch like six times in the pale tour, but nobody, you can't tell because it's so fast and what's going on. And it's just, I don't have time to make more witches. So I will make this witch six <laughs> times do this thing. And thankfully you have great stunt people like Generator, you know, who, who was my subpersonal now who just yeah. did, did this over <laughs> and over again. Oh, and by the way, Generator from The Pale Door who did that is the girl who plays Claire, who's the first one who starts vomiting in Scare Package 2. Um, and yeah, and one Kelly of my Marone favorite sequences. <laughs> yeah, I, I even That's pointed the same it person. In, in, the, in the chat along we were both in together, which is where I first, it, I pointed out that for some reason they kept turning toward each other and puking. I'm, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one that laughed ridiculously. Yeah, hard. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, yeah, yeah not, not the kind of friend you need, you know? <laughs> well, and it's like, if you think about it too, and, and when the area they're in, they are kind of like, they should all stand on yeah. like the same side and face this way. But if you're there, you're like, oh, and then you don't know where to go and you turn. It's, uh, it makes it just more chaotic and fun. Yeah. It was yeah, it was a lot of fun, and I I actually did watch the pale door after we started communicating about doing this interview. So yeah, I've actually oh, okay, watched that yeah. one as well. Very different tonally of the film. Very yeah. different tone, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I also had to say you mentioned the B scene. I I think the B sequence in the second movie was my favorite. Just take the mask oh. off. <laughs> God, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thread well, is that's- gone. Yeah, <laughs> that's it, it, it's interesting because like I, I love thank you. I, I, I love that couple of it because I think the B this whole thing, we did not go into this saying I want to do some type of wicker man B scene. There was no desire to do that. What happened is in the process of writing this, I, when we decided we were going to do a Saw riff, which which made sense, I wanted to focus on the 90s, 2000s horror, Saw is such a huge franchise, and we had these like escape room motifs, I'm like, well, these should be Saw escape rooms, and this is this is, makes too much sense. So there was a day where I was just writing dialogue in like Jigsaw voice, you know, <laughs> and um, so I just would come up with all these weird things and things that made me laugh that were like Saw-esque. And I wrote down this one line that was, you called it a B movie, but the real horror, or you called horror movies, uh, you called horror films a B movie, but the real horror is the 10,000 Bs I put inside you. 
And that was it. Mm -hmm. Like that was the line. And I texted everyone and made me laugh. And I was like, I don't know what this means. I don't know how you put bees inside someone. This just makes me laugh. I think it's funny because we, I wanted to riff on, you know, I, I do not like when people keep calling all horror film B movies and they say elevated horror because they're not elevated drama. It's not elevated comedy. Like, 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 like let's, let's let it be what it is. And uh, so that was frustrating me. So I was writing from that perspective. So then I just fell in love with that line so much. I was like, well, what am I going to do? Now I got to find a way to do this. And then you start to reverse engineer it. And you're like, oh, well, bees, it makes me immediately think of Wicker Man, the new remake, the remake with Nick Cage. So I was like, okay, well, let's play with this. And then from there, it's like, okay, now you have the dumbest, you get to write the dumbest saw traps possible, you know, because there are saw traps. I will watch saw sometimes and I'm like, why don't they just do this? They can get out. Like you yeah. see the way to escape the trap. <laughs> And they don't. And and <laughs> the so girl this that was stuck her arms in the box, both arms in the box to get the needle. That scene has always pissed yeah! me off. Yeah. Why did you stick both arms in the hole when one arm got stuck? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, there's always like a latch, or like if you move your foot here, not always. I mean, I sometimes you know it's just that's just awful. That sucks. But there are plenty <laughs> of times where I'm like, there's obviously this. So it was fun to play up this idea of like X marks the spot and there's just this big X that's sitting there and it's like, just pay any attention, listen to anything he's telling you exactly yeah. what to do, right? Which is what he's saying, you know? Like, in, I love the twist in Saw too, where he's like, your son's in a safe place. Yeah. And it's like, oh, your son's in a safe. There's the safe, my son's in that safe, cool. But you don't think about it that way. And that twist doesn't, you know, it, it worked. I think the twist works really well at the end of Saw too. But this idea of like, your son's in a safe, place and it's like, okay he's telling me he's in a safe now i know what to do open him up movie over right so that was a, a really fun thing to to play with yep yeah i i really enjoyed i gotta say yeah so creative and so fun and i like the way that you it sounds like you came up with the line and you, like you said then you came up with okay how do we make this put this on film in some way that's gonna be yeah so that's awesome yeah. Yeah, yeah, there were just, a couple of scenes there where I know where they got that. <laughs> you know, uh, I think the 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 somebody's head going through a TV, if I remember, is from Friday from uh, one of the Nightmare on Elm Streets. Dreamers, she, yeah. yeah, where she gets basically you want to be on TV. Well, there you go. <laughs> you know, yeah. Welcome, welcome to primetime, bitch. And, yeah. <laughs> and getting and having Joe Bob say that, you know. Yeah. So the, I have outtakes that'll be on the Blu-ray, which is just Joe Bob saying welcome to primetime bitch like 50 different ways <laughs> and it's it's really funny but yeah you know i mean that was that's a that's a scene that as a kid you know was just iconic to me like i just like oh look at his hands break out and the head comes to the tv and we did all again all that practically like byron is standing on a ledge he's got a blue suit on below him and we took we took this fake tv frame thing put a, a leather piece at the top, did a slit and we're really pushing his head through this thing, you know, and he comes out to the other side and it was, it took so long. And he, and when he pushed his head, it would mess up the makeup. So we'd have to like redo all these things. And, um, and in fact, the way we shot that in that scene, cause it, it's, he's sitting there with his head through the TV around the room. These people are chained to these walls. Well, what was happening is we were at, during that same day when he was doing the makeup, the makeup was going to take so long and the gag going through the TV was going to take so long that I couldn't shoot them in, in the right order. So we were shooting the B stuff 
in the other room, and again, this is that luxury that you mentioned, Carlo, of like being right there, in the B stuff in the other room, I would then, sh we'd shoot some stuff and then they'd be getting ready, they're getting the lights ready, whatever's needed. I'd run next door to the other room and I would I would supervise the makeup, I'm like, oh, do this a little with his face, like make the glasses falling off, put the, you know, these things and we're doing that. So I'm running back and forth as this is happening. Then we get to, you know, the end and what's going on there. And like, they're still shooting and we're still shooting in the B room. So then I'm like, well, I need to shoot this right now. So I am the person's, I stand at the eye line for, for Sam, Byron Brown's character that's there. And I'm just yelling back and forth at him. So it's him and me arguing the whole time. And mm -hmm. then, so we shot all of his side and none of the actors were there. It's just me pretending to be everybody else. And then when that was done in the next day, when they came in, then I'm standing there and I'm being Sam and I'm saying the things that he said back to them. So they have something to work off of. But that's, that's just what I had to do. And that's the reason why I became the voice of the puppet, which was not intentional. I was voicing the puppet as it comes out, which I have right up there. Oh, that's the puppet. awesome. Um, but, uh, but I became the voice of the puppet because in the scene, I was doing that and just talking shit back. Because Byron Brown is one of the, who plays Sam, one of the funniest people I've ever met. And so I was like, I would just give him things that would annoy him and I knew it would annoy him. And then he would get mad at me and what he would say back. And, and, you know, and it's playful kind of like, you know, uh, um, improvised way. And we just kept doing this back and forth, back and forth. And, uh, and then we kind of fell in love with the way the puppet sounded when that happened. And then I was like, all right, well then I will just leave it in. I'll just, I'll just keep doing the puppet, you know? And then that, that was that, but Again, it's all this stuff is things like that. You know, you're just like trying to find a way to make it happen because I can't keep the actors late to to shoot all the B stuff, then go and shoot all that stuff. There's not possible in the same day. And also, I just don't do that to my actors, you know, and, and what they have to work through. It's tough enough to make these movies, you know, <laughs> they can't work 15 hour days. So anyway, you know, it's that those kind of weird things that you have to kind of make happen. But it worked out so well. I mean, it really did. Yeah, that makes me happy. Makes me very happy. I'm very proud of how that all looks and how it came together. And, and again, what we, the little money we had and what we actually made happen, I'm, I'm super proud of. Okay. And then one thing, cause you brought it up again, how did Joe Bob Briggs end up being in the first movie? How did that come about? Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. There's actually a photo of me on my first feature camera obscure. And this is like 2015 or so when I'm, when I'm, when I was directing and I'm wearing a Joe Bob Briggs uh, hat, like a trucker hat that uh that i had i had made because i couldn't even find a joe bob briggs hat at the time and so i you know it was somebody that as a kid i loved i grew up watching joe bob briggs he was kind of a again as i wasn't allowed to watch horror films i could though we got to see i got to see monster vision so i'd watch monster vision and i wanted to see and those that was my education in so many ways of horror so at the end of the first film, they're in this laboratory where they're doing experiments on horror films, trying to understand how horror films work. And I'm like, well, if you're doing that, I, I needed someone to help them kind of escape that would like work there. And I was like, well, it'd be boring. Again, the, the first idea, the easy idea you throw out, right? So the easy idea was, oh, there's a worker that's there that's also scared and they want to help them leave. And I was like, nope, let's, let's do that. Let's not do that. Let's make it more complicated and fun than that. Let's make it be there's a worker there and the worker is a consultant that's a horror consultant that they've hired to so they can understand the rules of horror. And now I need to get a celebrity horror consultant. And there were two names that came to mind. And the first was Joe Bob Briggs and the other was Elvira. And I was like, that's it. 
It's like, those are the two people that I think of from my childhood. And, and this is prior to any of the Shutter Resurgence. The last drive-in had not aired again. None of that stuff was happening. And uh, John, uh, John Bloom, uh, who's Joe Bob Briggs's real self, uh, he's he's on set and we were, I, I basically, well, sorry, well, to backtrack, he had followed me on Twitter, I think, a couple years prior. And that was like a big moment for me. And I was really excited about it. And I just messaged him, you know, and I was like, look, man, you worked for, you worked for Scorsese, you were in Casino, okay, like, I know you can act, Uh, I want to write like a real part for you, you know, in this little tiny horror movie I'm doing, I don't know if you still act anymore, you know, whatever, I think he was about to do something with like the barn or something like that, but like, there was nothing that he'd really done, and he was like, oh, this sounds great, you know, and then as, as I sent the script, and he has a manager and I sent it to his manager and she's like, this is really funny, you know? And uh, I came up with a little extra money to bring him in. It wasn't a lot at the time. I mean, it's not anymore now, um, but at the time and, and he showed up, we had him for like a day or two, you know, flew him in. I, and again, I consolidated everything we had to do for him in like the one day I had, I had doubles of him where I needed. So like, it's not him in the background and stuff like that. all these, again, those restrictions, right? We had to come up with creative ways. So there's moments where Rad Chad, after he falls through the wall and Rad Chad's like talking down to him, the guy who's laying there is a double, you know, and then, and then we just, you know, so how you're doing all this stuff. So you're coming up with these ways and, you know, he, he just understood what we were trying to do. He thought it was really funny. I told him that, you know, we could improvise and, he did. He improvised some lines, and uh, yeah, and then and then after that, it, he mentions like, yeah, well, Shutter. I think on set there was some mention of like, Shutter might be trying to buy, you know, or license some of my old episodes, you know, and like there was talk. That was it. I mean, it was not even a new thing or anything. That was that was the only thing that was mentioned. And then all of a sudden we found out that oh no, they're gonna do like a one night only thing you know, and that was the first night. And then that night he Joe Bob broke the internet, right? Was the hashtag and everybody went online and we all watched. I stayed up all night watching that marathon. And I was like, oh my God, like, this is so great for us. And I'm so happy for John. And it was just this amazing thing. And so then when that show became, you know, a hit for Shutter, huge hit for Shutter, really put them on the map with so many people, we had the opportunity to world premiere on the, the last drive and I was like, let's just let's just surprise everyone and premiere there. And and that was something that John and I worked out and it was just uh one of the one of the greatest nights of my life. Truly one of the greatest nights of my life. Yeah, I think that was awesome because for those of us that are horror fans and also fans of Joe Bob, it kind of you know it made it very meta to go, okay, this is really cool now. Yeah. 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 Well and no one knew he was on it. That's the thing. Yeah. Like we were the... able to do this and we kept it a secret. We played at some festivals but we were able to keep it a secret. And I'm just so grateful to those people for doing that because it allowed the last drive an audience to be like, when he, you know, we do that and we do this dramatic and thankfully, you know, I didn't listen to some of the people when I wrote the script and I was shooting this, we came up with the shot list. They're like, people don't know who Joe Bob Briggs is really anymore. Like nobody's going to know who he is. And I was like, I don't care. The people who do know who he is like myself, when you do this dramatic push in, you know, when he's like holding the ax and he's like, you know, come with me if you want to live. You're like, what? <laughs> this is Joe Bob Briggs. Like that was a moment for me. I didn't know who else was. I knew for me, that would be cool as shit. And so that was the thing. So to have done that and we did this long setup, it was a hard shot to even get and everything and all this. And like, he's turning the corner and the lighting and all that. 
And I, we kept doing it until it was right. And then so to have that now and let that be that moment for everyone, it, it looks like we created it for the last drive-in, but like, it just was for me. And it ended up being that I have a, a mutant family, if you will. And uh, we all got to enjoy it together. And just so special. I even loved, there was a, he wasn't in the second movie, but there was some, some footage that was shown on the TV for a minute. Of oh, no, he's of the in episodes it. Of the last drive-in. No, he's in it because oh, we had him. It? Yeah, we had him say, you know, welcome to primetime, bitch. I mean, that's him. Oh. We, we shot him doing that. And then in I'd the credits. To, I, I'm sorry if I missed that. I did, no, I it's okay. I go back and watch the second one. Yet. I did watch the first one again. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's all good. And then, yeah. And then in the credits, um, that is him. You know, yeah. we have Ernie and everything when he answers yeah. the phone. It's I'm wearing my spoilers. Yuki shirt. You can't see it, but I have my Yuki shirt. Oh yeah, I didn't. Yeah, there was no no Yuki was in this, but I would yeah. love to do that in the future. But we did get Ernie in, so that was nice. Ernie crawling on the phone, yeah, and then Joe Bob answering the phone. You know, we, I wanted to like tease this idea of like if other people are alive, is Joe Bob alive? And it's like, yeah. oh my god, he is, and you know, and Ratchet's <laughs> trying to call him, and like, what does that mean? We don't know. I mean, I might know, but uh, the world doesn't know yet, and it's uh, hopefully it gets people excited to try and do this, you know, a third time. Well, I think I even said during our chat along that I said there better be a third movie coming. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I would be so excited. For Just that. tell Shutter. That's the thing. Yeah. Everybody tell Shutter. <laughs> I'm. I mean, it, weirdly, it, it helps. It really does. Like Shutter, seeing people say they want to see a third one, genuinely helps because that we're. Uh, I mean, I will say I have the idea is a Rad Chad trilogy, and if the third film can happen, it will. It, it, it's it's yeah. it's uh it'll make a lot of people very happy let's just i i i believe uh it'll make me very happy at worst yeah. so i know uh it'll make me happy it's but it's make, all been it, building to this it's it's building everything in the second film is building to something in the third if we can do it you know well, i can guarantee you i will i will tag shutter i will make sure to shutter gets tagged when we post same so, thank yes. you thank you Everyone do it, please. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, we, we definitely will. Um, I have a question for you. I'm not sure if Cozy or, or DDM has any questions, but I do have a question for you, but I want to give them the floor first real quick. Um, I think the only question I had is, uh, do you have a favorite aspect of making the, when you make these films? Is there a favorite deep thing that you, part of it that you enjoy? Oh, goodness. Uh, there's two things. So I'm going to cheat and be that person. The first is I, I love producing for other people. So this idea that I get to work with these really talented writer directors and I get to learn from them. So it's like, I get to see what they're doing. I get to see their tricks of the trade. I, and, I, and I get to, to do something I love, which is producing other people's movies, help their visions become a reality. So that within a structure where I also get to still be my madman and write and direct at the same time. It's like the best of every world. So that's just a really special thing. And then I get to, you know, I mean, Alex Barreto, who did Welcome to the 90s, she has this really unique way that she uses her zoom lenses and the way the camera is very kinetic. We use the same DP. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do some shots exactly like that. I mean, that was, I love what she did. I did some shots like that. And, and that was, you know, things I had thought of before, but seeing the way she did that inspired me to do the same. So that's a wonderful piece of this. And then I would say just as a whole, you know, making genre films and horror films in general, what I, the reason why I have, and there's a lot of reasons why I make, make horror films, but, but I think when you're on set, it is just 
again, it's so hard. Every movie is a miracle to get made. It is so hard to get a movie made. But when you're there and you're working long hours and you're working with like some crew you've never met before, you're in some weird city because we're having to go all over the world, you know, to make stuff. Like I'm about to go to New Brunswick, St. John, New Brunswick to make something later this year. Never been there in my life, but that's where I need to go to make this movie. That's where the most money's available. So that's where we're going. So you meet all these new unique people, these all these personalities. They're working long hours. We don't have a ton of money. So nobody's getting some great pay or anything. And you're just like, you have to be reminded of like, is what am I, why am I here? You know, what am I doing sometimes? And when you're making a horror film and you do practical onset gags and you do something that's this like big blood effects, creature effect thing, and it happens and it works. Everybody like the, the vomiting that we were doing, we did that early on in the shoot. And we've got, you know, icon Kelly Maroney, tra- you know, with this thing, this like vomit rig on her, you know, and she's vomiting with these people. And we're, everybody's gathered around the cameras. We're all washing her vomit, this practical goo all over this other actor and everybody. And then they're all cheering and clapping and it just like reinvigorates everyone. And then the people who might not even know, like, because some of these crew, they don't even read the script, you know? They're just there to do this one thing that one day and they move the lights. But then they see this and they're like, oh, this is what we're making. This is fun. And they get to have fun making a movie. And then you do that. And then you treat people with respect and you care about what they're going through. And then everybody becomes like this family. And it just becomes this really, really special thing. But it starts with like, well, I guess it starts with just how you treat others and the empathy that you need to have of people on set. But then after that, when you pull off a big gag, so those moments where, you know, in the pale door, we threw somebody through a door. That was this amazing moment. We threw somebody off a balcony. Here, there was the vomit stuff. I mean, even, even when, you know, when Sam's head comes up through the TV, I would show people I'm like, hey, come over here, guys, and look at this real quick. And then they see him like pushing. He's like, ah, doing this thing. And then and Rich Summer and everybody's laughing and they're going back and they're just, you just, you feel like you're in something together because you're, because most of the time you don't see the end result, you know, like you don't know how this is going to look, right? It's not just somebody with like a tennis ball and a blue thing, you know, when you do those practically. So back to your earlier question about practical effects, right? this is one of those reasons right and this is this is how those things pay off and god is it is like the energy on set when you get to land one of those things is the best feeling in the world uh ddm did you have any questions before i ask my question uh he pretty much covered any questions i had because the only major one i was going to ask was if you guys preferred to use practical effects or um computer generated but you you answered that quite a bit ago so yeah yeah unless if we don't have to use it we don't use it unless it's like a a, an actual story device we we try not to use it we appreciate that from the horror community at least my friends and i (laughs) we all need to i much prefer practical well i know you sir so (laughs) yeah i mean i think the we did we, we i think of the first scare package the the ending portion we had something like 22 23 gallons of blood that we used (laughs) Mm -hmm. and because we're spraying we're literally spraying it on the walls and all the stuff and everything everywhere and so and we were like wow the gallons of blood in a per minute ratio was like as much as dead alive and like the evil dead remake had done like okay now i feel like that that's that's a list i want to be on you know (laughs) stuff like that oh wow 
That's interesting. Uh, you know, one thing I want to ask you is I noticed that, you know, uh, on your credits, it says that you're a producer. So there are different roles in filmmaking, obviously producer, screenwriter, uh, mm-hmm. sometimes co-producer, director. What what would you say separates a producer from a director? Yeah, well, it's a totally different job, right? It's a totally different job. So, you know, I... The, the films that like I'm writing, I'm also directing and I'm also producing, right? So I'm kind of like there. And and, and, it, and it really started with my my first passion was writing. I became a director to protect my writing and I became a producer to protect my directing, right? So the producer is who's putting all these pieces together. They're deciding what movie gets made, basically. They're the ones saying it's going to be this director with this script and this location on this budget, and, and that's why when, you know, the Oscar gives out best picture, the person who gets that award is the producer, right, of the film and what's there. And then their job is within that is to support the creative vision of the director. So the director's in charge of that creative side. And they're the ones that are putting this all out there into the world. They're like, this is the way I want to tell the story, whether it's their own story, someone else's. They're in. They're making those creative decisions. The producers putting parameters around those creative decisions. They're helping them solve those problems creatively. And that's something that, again, uh, as I was referencing to to Chrissy's question, which was about one of the first things I love, which is working with these other other directors. So when I'm producing for another director, I get to look at it from a director's perspective. I get to think about how could we solve these problems creatively that still let you get your vision out there without being hamstrung or without me just saying no you can't do that because no you can't do that isn't like here's it's like say no but have a solution you know and what's there we're like look we can't afford that but but i think we could try to do this or what if you what if we try to rewrite the scene to do this or if we just shot this direction and not that direction and how you save that money and all those things so but the producer is the end all be all right they're making they're the ones saying yes or no. Um, you, you'll hear people talk about who has final cut, right? So directors like to you know, negotiate in a lot of contracts to have final cut, meaning that they're the ones that says what the final version looks like. And m- uh, with our films, we always work with directors. We give them final cut so that they can do that because again, we don't want to restrict what's there. Now in scare package, that's the only one that's a little bit different where you know I, because I'm directing a main story, I'll have final cut for the segments too. But I don't think we, I think there might've been like one or two things we've ever disagreed with that didn't make it in. And they were very, very small, you know, minor things. So that's kind of where that goes. But yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, the producers, the financials, getting that together, the logistics, hiring the crew, they hire literally every single person that's there, making sure that's there. And then, you know, we also, as from the company's perspective, you know, I'm also kind of in charge of the sales and the distribution. Like I'm finding who we're partnering with, who we're going to release the film with, how we're financing it, who we're getting money from, and how do we get the money back to those people? That as a producer, that's that's that main focus with that. Now, but again, when I'm directing, so like the Pale Door and even the Scare Package movies, Camera Obscura and the stuff I'm doing now, those are I'm all of those roles, you know. So uh, it, it's through. But that's 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 the common that happens sometimes too. You know, M. Night Shyamalan, you know, someone who typically, well, actually he doesn't always write all his stuff, but usually he would like write, direct, produce, you know, all that. Tarantino, um, you know, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, those folks, you know, take all those roles and what's there. Wow, that's a, it's a lot of hats to wear. (laughs) 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, then in indie film, you're also like helping out with art departments. You're also helping out with like your assistant director department, which is like the scheduling. You're also helping out with budget. Like in indies, you're doing everything, you know? Uh, so, but that's okay. You know, if you love it, it's not work, you know? And you're Sounds like you it. definitely love it. So, so. There's nothing, I mean, there's nothing I love more. It is a drug <laughs> and I can't get enough of it. And you know, I, it's weird. Cause like in my life, sometimes like I, I can be thought of as a cynical person at times, but when it comes to movies, there is just this kind of, I don't know. There's just, I, I, I just can't help, but, but feel so lucky to get to do this for a living. And the fact that I get to make movies, like I just never thought that would be possible as a kid. Now, Cause I was told, I was told I would never be able to do it. I was told this was the case and it just motivated me, you know? And I was like, okay, well then I'm going to find a way to do this. Like, I think I'm smart. I, I, I think I could come up with something and, you know, I mean, I, I, it was, it, it took a lot and we've hit roadblock after roadblock, but if you have this mindset that like every no is one step closer to a yes, like it just finds a way of pushing you forward and you get there. And then, then when you do have these opportunities, it just becomes the sweetest thing, the greatest thing, you know, that I've come up with these weird ideas. Like I've never met any of you all before, but the idea that you were watching um, this weird laughing at an idea I had years ago in some place I've never been. And it was, it was maybe making you smile, making you shriek, making you whatever reaction we get. There's a lot of reactions in Scare Package, but it's, we're giving those reactions to you. And that day, maybe it made your, that part of your day feel a little bit better. And I had that effect is, yep, I mean, come exactly. on, what are we talking about? And I know that with the tweet alongs, I think you, you enjoy those because I think you enjoy watching those that are tweeting with you that are having that reaction or making those comments as the film is going. And, you know, yeah. Again, it's, it's what I would want, you know, yeah. these things. And like, I would have wanted that. So I, I always try to be very, I, I want people to know that it matters. Like, you know, Kevin Smith talks about it costs nothing to encourage an artist right and what's there and i think sometimes people are like oh i don't want to bother someone or whatever like i love it it, it makes me so happy you know like i want to know that we're having an impact and these things are are out there and resonating and so i want to make sure that they know how much it means to me you know that that what's there so i do i put effort i mean eventually you know i've done probably this is probably my 50th podcast. I don't even know, but I love <laughs> doing it, you know, and eventually there's times where I'm like, I don't know if I can this week or, or what's there, but I, I just want everyone to know how much I appreciate it because we make these movies again, it starts with making me laugh. And then the movie's yours. It's not my movie anymore. Right now it's yours. And I just hope that it becomes something that you can enjoy and you're laughing at because it's no longer mine. It was mine for this long time getting it here. And now I hope, I hope you like what we hope is a gift, you know, and it's not an annoying one that you want to return. Right. I, I can tell you right now, at least a scare package, like I've watched scare package two, three times or one, three times, you know, and I'll be watching scare package two more. And, you know, because they're fun, they're just flat out fun. And every time I watch it, it's like, I spot something I didn't spot the other time. Okay. That's, you know, <laughs> yeah. It's always fun for me. I so, love uh, that too. I've yeah. always loved that. Yeah. Well, and I'll say this too. Um, so on our Blu-ray, which I, you know, I think is coming sometime in April, we'll announce it pretty soon, but that Blu-ray, we're actually going to have, I don't know if any remember uh, VH1's pop-up video from back in the day. Oh yeah. So they, so they do like, and, and what they're doing, you're playing a video and they're showing these little like tad bit, tidbits about 
random facts. Yeah, the it. random information from Yeah. Her. So we're doing, you'll be able to watch Scare Package 2 with what we're calling like the horror icons edition. And it's like, I, so then basically we'll do pop-up videos. So every reference to a horror film will pop up on screen and we're telling you. Oh, what I'm we're in doing, for that. I'm, I'm in day one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because there's a lot of stuff that I, I know people don't get. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's like, oh my God, that's a reference to this. You know, and Graham Skipper, yeah. his dance that he's yeah. doing when he's like doing this weird dance, he's doing these weird moves. People just laugh at it because it's a funny dance. That dance is the exact moves that Crispin Glover does in Friday the 13th part four. Uh -huh. So it's the Crispin Glover dance and he's doing the, I mean, he studied the dance, you know, to do this kind of stuff. So it's just, there's so many versions of this that are out there that, you know, my hope is that, you know, so Carlo, you're not a diehard horror fan, totally fine. Because if you watch this movie and you enjoy it, you know, and you're there and Cozy is like, oh no, Carlo, that's actually a reference to this. And you're like, oh, I haven't seen that. Well, then what ends up happening? You maybe go and watch Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, or you watch Dream Warriors. And now we've just recreated. I obviously grew up working in video stores, right? Shocking. Uh, mm -hmm. But now that old thing that I used to do where I was the person recommending these horror films, now through my film, I'm now recommending other horror films and we're spreading the word and it becomes gateway horror again, right? So it's like for the diehard fan, don't get me wrong, but then, the, but it's also, it's, it's not gatekeeping, it's gateway. And I think that's like an important thing. We're trying to bring more people to this because that's what makes it so fun. It's like watching this with people and like, oh my God, this, and oh my God, that. And, and that's, that's the hope. And one of the things that I've kind of. Because it, it works both ways. Those of us who've seen all those movies, we recognize the scenes, but. If you haven't, and you go back and you watch some of those movies, you go, I've seen that before. Oh, that's right. They did that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. So it has to be, that was a rule that we had. And it has to be fun if you know the reference or not. So hopefully it's funny regardless. But if you do know the reference, it becomes that much more special. And then if you do see a scene later, then it'll be like, where have I seen like, oh my God, that's what Screw Package was making fun of and you don't know. Then it's like, we get to come back around to you again, yeah. you know, in a fun way. That was the idea. I like it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, so like uh, Army of Darkness, um, Critters, Puppet Master, those I could tolerate easy, you know, like they yeah. weren't, they weren't too scary for me. Friday 13th and Jason, it, it got me a little bit scared when I was younger, but then I used to tell myself, oh, he only goes after teenagers, so it's not a big deal. So, <laughs> so, you know, it was like, you know, I felt kind of safe for a while until I became a teenager. Until I <laughs> had so had you, could watch it, you could watch it as a kid and you could watch it as an adult, but you couldn't watch yeah, any of them for that period in between. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I mean, me too. I had a reoccurring dream where it's genuinely scary, where I was running from the wood, running the woods from Jason Voorhees. And I went into a tree that had like one of those big openings and I crawled up inside a tree and there was this little hole and I'm like looking through the hole. And then I see him look at me and then he chops down the tree with me in it. Ooh. And like, that was like <laughs> oh. really disturbing. And it stayed with me for years and years and years. Um, but I'll tell you what, you know what you should watch, Carla? You should watch Friday the 13th part six, Jason Lives, which is the Tommy McLaughlin version. It's it's complete fun. It's like the first zombie Jason. And our opening titles of Scare Package 2 are an exact homage to that that goes into his eye and what's there. And that movie's a blast. And it's just, it's fun, over-the-top slasher horror. It's one of my favorites of that entire franchise. Um, 
and yeah, I think it'd be a great one to 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 visit. All right, yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Okay, uh, and you'll see and you'll see scare package Fred. references. Sorry, <laughs> what was that, Paul? Since we're telling stories about, I'm going to tell everybody uh, that's going to see this a story that's embarrassing for me. But I watched Friday Thirteenth as a kid. I yeah, I get jump scares and stuff, but nothing too major. I like I've always liked gore and stuff. You can thank my grandmother for that. <laughs> but at the end of Friday Thirteenth, and when it's the Serene Lake and stuff, and all of a sudden Jason jumps out. Probably the only time I had a bowl of popcorn in my lap. Let's just <laughs> say they had to clean up the living room after that. There's, most serious yeah. jump scare I've ever had. Holy <laughs> crap. Yeah. That's a legendary jump scare. And it was all added at the very last minute. You know, the movie yeah. was not supposed to end that way. No. You know, and it's, and it's, it's, um, you know, so uh, Savini, who had just seen Carrie, and you've got the hand that comes out of the grave at the end of Carrie. Right. And Savini was like, you need something like this at the end of it. And he talked Sean Cunningham into putting that scene in. And then if it wasn't for that scene, we wouldn't have Jason as we know Jason today. Yeah right so and what's there but yeah i mean those things are wonderful you don't know i mean like yeah. as a kid i mean god i was scared of all kinds of shit i mean it didn't even yeah. matter you know so you're you're fine you're fine the, the only legitimate. nightmare the only creature that ever gave me a nightmare god done the truth frankenstein's monster mm. only creature that yeah. ever gave me a nightmare <laughs> that's funny yeah. yeah i think um alien alien really scared me you know the just uh, Sigourney Weaver's, you know, that alien, it, it just, it just, I don't know, that one really kind of got under my skin <laughs> in a really specific way. Um, and then Jaws scared me as a kid too, you know, that was one I was allowed to watch. And, but it was just so thrilling. I just was like so into it. Um, it's my all time favorite film. I got like a Jaws it, tattoo. It's up on my, it's, oh, Ooh, that's, that's nice. cool. Oh, that's really cool. It's funny oh. you mentioned Alien because that was actually the first horror movie I was allowed to watch as a child. And I was really young <laughs> watching it. And when I asked my mom years later, okay, mom, what made you decide to let your <laughs> six year old watch Alien? Like, of all things like i appreciate you encouraging my mother's always encouraged my love of horror even though she hates it she, she encourages me to watch it and do the theme parks and stuff and i said you know why did you let me watch alien at such a young age and she goes well i figured if you got too scared it was easy to explain away because i could just tell you that aliens didn't exist and we don't have ships that do that yet so it's not a problem <laughs> And I was like, you know, that is actually the most genius thing I've ever heard. Yeah, my mother said she let us watch Mommy Dearest and she said, now your life's not so bad, is it? So, you know. It's just... Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's scary. No more wire hangers. <laughs> I go to sleep to horror movies, so I never had yeah. a problem with them. The so, only uh, one that affected me was uh, Creep Show 2, the sequence where the kids go to the lake and get eaten by the blob. Oh, yeah. That terrified me. <laughs> and that's one of the only things that I can recall, like really messing with me as a child. But I believe the reason for that is we used to go to the lake every summer. <laughs> And since That'll it takes it. place in a lake with a dock, it was like, yeah, this is a little too, too close for comfort. Jason, no problem. Freddie, he's fine. A blob in a lake terrified me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, whoops, sorry. As, I was as we say, get before, ready, as we get ready to wrap some things up. Yeah. Before. Do you have any? any projects just, coming up or anything that you want to let us know about? Uh, what were you saying, Carlo? 
Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, before Paul wraps up, I was just going to say, oh. you know, out of every, at, since we're all talking about it, out of the horror movies that really affected me the most, I have a friend uh, who I grew up with who has Asperger's and he loves horror movies. And his dad used to do the old nitrate film projections. I don't know if you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. what those are, but he's yeah. one of the only projectionists that could sold do him. And he donated his whole collection to the Library of Congress. But we used to go over his house and we used to watch horror all the time. And I didn't never wanted to watch horror. Mm-hmm. So he tricked me one time and he says, oh, yeah, there's this movie called Children of the Corn. And it's just about a bunch of kids that want to have fun in a cornfield. And I was oh. like, I was like, well, it can't be that bad because at the time I lived near Newtown, Pennsylvania. It was all cornfields at the time. So I was like, OK, well, yeah, I'll check it out. Oh, I did not sleep for weeks after that movie. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah I was tricked to that one. Yeah, I had my my grandmother used to get HBO for free. <laughs> so like the channel would randomly come through and I would take the VHS tapes and put on that like SLP versions. You can get like six hours. And I would just bring it overnight and put a tape in and record overnight. And this was at that time, HBO overnight would play horror films. So the next night I had no idea what was going to show up on the tape. I would just like, you know, and I wasn't allowed to watch anything. So I actually brought the TV into my closet. I did have a big closet. I closed the door to my closet around the side the best I could. And I'd have like all these clothes around me and this little TV. And I'm like watching whatever showed up. And I mean, that was, you know, there was films like Alien and Shocker, weirdly enough, and like all kinds of stuff that, that popped up. And like, it was frightening. The Nightmare on Elm Street definitely got to me. I mean, that, <laughs> that really, really freaked me out. And yes, but, but I, but also I chased it. Like I was scared, but it made me happy. Like, it was like, Ooh, I didn't know. I love movies. I would watch movies all the time, but I just didn't know I could feel that way watching a film. So that just kind of was this exhilarating thing, you know, and, and scare package is not scary at all. It's, it's a comedy first and it's just, it's comedy with gore and horror references. That's, that's really what it is. Um, But, but, and there's like one or two jump scares, you know, whatever, but like, but we also made some stuff that I think genuinely has some frightening moments. And so when you're doing those things, it's fun. And I'm still kind of chasing, like recreating those moments and those scenes. I think it's, it's a, it's a fun piece of the art, but that's the thing. Like horror and comedy are both this, very similar in that way and that they're, they're set up and pay off, right? The joke doesn't land if you don't set up the joke well, right? And the same thing is done with horror. You got to set it up the right way. It's funny you mentioned, I'm going to mention it real quick. Now, I, growing up, my parents on the weekend, Friday and Saturday night, they didn't care that I stayed up all night. And I was alive before VCRs, so... <laughs> It would be, I would literally stay up and watch the old UHF channel and they had movies on all the old classics or otherwise, you know. So I've watched thousands upon movies that most people my age have never even, you know, considered watching. But a lot of the same thing. A lot of times it was horror movies, the late night, you know, Saturday night horror fest, you know, that would. So yeah, that was my exposure. The old uh, Universal Creatures, Frankenstein, The Wolfman, Dracula. You know. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. So yeah, and and I wouldn't trade those things for for uh, the world, you know. Yeah, I still enjoy them today. So. Yeah, there's something <laughs> about this as a child. I think especially when you're experiencing what a horror film is, it's just a cathartic, weird thing. It's almost like an out of body experience at times. And uh, I hope I hope kids these kids these days I hope kids these days are 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 still enjoying it and you know on their phones uh, you know whatever in an Uber or whatever but like <laughs> hopefully you know they still can 
get in their the closet and the, the you know there and shield everything around and like be that immersed and in what's there because there's something really wonderful to be experienced if they're willing to dive into it the nice thing is with like scare package i know kids that i would easily go hey you got to watch this movie i don't like scary movies no no it's fine just watch the movie and you'll you'll enjoy the heck out of it you know yeah we've had some tiktokers that love it yeah we've had some that that have gotten into it and i'm like cool great i love it again gateway not gatekeeping yep all right paul so uh you can't forget that special question when we wrap up that we oh, yes. always ask. Uh, we, we have a special question we ask all our guests. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm down. Ah, okay. Ah, ah. This this interview will never see the light of day. I'm sorry. To <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm down. Cozy, cozy is pineapple on pizza, too. You know, I, I so I don't normally, it's not like I, I normally order it. But I won't pick it off if it's on there. I but I put hot sauce on everything. So okay. pineapple and pizza with hot sauce is not nothing wrong there. It's good. That will, yeah, because the hot sauce will counter the pineapple. The sweet yeah. and spicy. Yeah, yeah. Sweet and Interesting. Spicy. I know yeah. that's the first time I heard that. Everybody. I do like mango hot sauce. So yeah, like mango. Yeah, exactly. Like a mango habanero is so good. Yeah, sweet <laughs> and spicy. It's really nice. I put um I, I always buy this like hot honey and uh I'll put like We'll do toast and you'll put um, a little peanut butter, some banana, and then hot honey on top. That shit is so good. Yeah. Now, if I'm remembering, aren't you, you're headquartered in Austin? Technically, yeah. I mean, we're we're, we're, we're all over the place because we're, right. you know, making but movies. That, that's over, part of yeah, the whole Austin. Keep Austin Weird thing, I think, is that. <laughs> sure, yeah. Yeah, I think we're, look, we're doing our part. We're doing our part. In that <laughs> yeah, for sure. Anyway, so back to my closing question because we've been going a while. I don't want to keep you much longer because I know you probably. No, have I appreciate to it. Do. Thank you. Yeah. Um, do you have anything new coming up that we should be looking forward to or anything like that? I mean, yeah, right. So uh, there's a bunch of stuff that's been out. So in October, we released, you know, Old Man, um, not really a horror film. Lucky McKee, Stephen Lang from Avatar is in it, um, and Don't Breathe, um, and just like I, I think his performance is fantastic. But that's more of like a chamber thriller drama. Uh, and then obviously November, uh, excuse me, we, uh, we produced Blood Relatives, uh, which is on Shudder now. It's a little vampire uh, rom-com in a way, uh, romantic. Uh, well, well, it's a father-daughter kind of story. Sorry, the rom-com is, sorry about the demon. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, this is a little more of a road trip, you know, vampire story, but it's a comedy as well. And then obviously we have Scare Package that just came out. And then we just really, sorry about the demon. That's the rom-com uh, Haunted House movie. That's out. Which I watched the other day. It's a great movie. I, I... <laughs> yeah, it's fun. And it, it's got John Michael Simpson, who's from the cold open segment of the first scare package. And then it's direct written, directed by Emily Higgins, who wrote cold open of the first scare package. So it's part of that whole scare package world, you know, kind of still yeah. building off and even blood relatives. That's that's written and directed by Noah Segan, who wrote and directed Mr. The segment, you know, from the first scare package. So like we're working with a lot of the same filmmakers and continue to build that stuff out, which is a lot of fun. Uh, and then, you know, in March, we just announced today that uh, The Artifice Girl, which is a sci-fi film that we made, a little sci-fi drama um, starring, has Lance Hendrickson in it, and he's just, he kills it. Lance is really just does a beautiful, beautiful job. Um, super serious, beautiful film, uh, talking about AI and identity and some really beautiful stuff. And that's, um, that will announce when that's coming out after that, but it's playing at South by Southwest. And then this year, you know, we have trim season, which I call witchy weed horror, 
Um, but uh, it's about a group of, um, uh, you know, cannabis pickers that are working during the trim season, you know, in Northern California. And they come across this, like maybe a witchy kind of person in the woods. And uh, it's got Alex Esso from Starry Eyes and Bexler Klaus, Jane Badler from V. She's in it. It's a wonderful cast. Beth Million, who was just in the Kevin Williamson film Sick, um, is the star. It's, it's, um, I'm really proud of that. And that'll be playing at a festival here soon that we'll get to announce. And then we have, at the end of the year, we've got a film called A Creature Was Stirring, which is a big practical effects monster, amazing monster. I can't say much else, but the, the creature in this is just insanity. And it's a Christmas horror film uh, starring Chrissy Metz from This Is Us. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's uh, Annalise Basso from Snowpiercer TV show and uh, the Ouija sequel. And, and so there's uh, just a really, that, that's a fun one. Damien uh, Levesque, who directed Cleansing Hour, that's, that's his film. And then I would say probably the biggest film we have coming out is a film called Shelby Oaks that um, will be more, more news on that will come soon. That is a, a super scary one, Carlo. I don't recommend it for you, buddy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but it's, it's, it's a really special. Chris Stuckman is a writer director on that and um, should be some big news will be coming on that pretty soon, but very, very excited. It's one of the bigger movies we've made. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, Aaron, um, you know, Paul's going to thank you for coming on too, but I just wanted to say thank you as well for coming on, hanging out with us, talk to us about uh, what you're doing. Look, thank you all so much for having me. I just really appreciate it. And, you know, you're talking about these movies that we've made and that is, that means the world to me. And I just, uh, so thank you for, for giving us the platform to talk about it and watching this weird shit that we do. <laughs> so. <laughs>